0: Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index with me, Adam Brandon. Joining me today are my usual teammates, the enthusiastic and midfield engine of the pod, Austin Miller. How are you, Austin?
1: I'm doing well. I've never been described as the midfield engine of the pod, though, but I'm going to take it as a compliment. I like it. Keeping things going, passing the ball around, setting everybody else up, right?
0: Yeah, well, your job is to is to lay the passes on to everybody's favourite number 10, Simon Edwards, with his incisive passes. Oh uh, Yeah, you know, I, I do my best, I do my best. We've got two games this
2: weekend, so back-to-back, back. we'll see how that goes. But we're back at our home, back at the home of football, El Dorado and Envigado, on Saturday night. Tickets available, um, you can sit on the terraces with the... With the drunks and the barbecue shouting abuse at the the gringos or occasionally some ironic support. You know, we, we, we take it we take it as we get it. You know, it's always good to have the backing of the neighbours, even if they're just drunk, homeless people shouting abuse. But it is what it is and AFC On Vigado back back in the league this weekend. How's how's the how's the target man number number nine up front?
0: Yeah, all good here in uh, Chile. Thanks to well, still trying to find somewhere to live. So I'm I'm possibly one of those homeless people who might come and watch you. If I could get a flight to Colombia, who knows? Um, anyway, I think we're going to start the Libertadores pod this week in Group 8, where Boca Juniors survived a major scare. Um, they had to avoid defeat in Barranquilla in Colombia to stay in the competition. Uh, and at half-time, I thought they were going to be beat, to be honest, with Junior looking... Um, a much more balanced side to the one we saw earlier in the competition. They were leading 1-0 at half-time, Junior, and it didn't look like Boca had too much to offer, really. No, Simon?
2: No, it was looking good. I mean, there was there were some chances for Boca, but uh, in terms of the balance, I think you're you're completely right. Um, I've been asking for, for a while that Junior play a bit more direct, to use the, width, use the pace they have out wide, and, and they were really doing that very well. And they were really causing a lot of trouble. The goal they got was uh, a little bit fortunate, to say the least. Uh, last week's Team of the Week member, uh, Marlon Piedreita, uh, <laughs> won a penalty. In every sense of the word, it was won. He received the ball with his back to the defender, flicked it around the corner, and he was already, already on his way down. Very, very little contact, completely tricked the referee, who I didn't think had a very good game. I was complaining about the referee, and, and then I was praising the referee, but both for lots and lots of mistakes. Um, but, yeah, overall, Junior were looking good. Uh, and I think the key moment, obviously, the goal came in the second half. Uh, Pavon whipped a corner into the, uh, a free kick into the near post and uh, Ruiz headed it into the goal. The penalty was was dispatched by Ruiz as well for, for uh, Junior. Uh, the keeper got a touch to it, pushed it onto the post and it broke and he, he tapped it in. But then, yeah, the the first half was looking good for Junior. They were in control. They were balanced. The goalkeeper Vieira, you know, he takes occasional free kicks, but his distribution is incredible he was setting up Chada over and over again. As soon as he got the ball out wide to Chada, driving forward, Chada had a good game. Um, But yeah, I think uh, the second half conceding that goal on the 50th minute um, really upset things for Junior. And then I think the, the key moment was in the 68th minute, they took off Ruiz and brought on Hernandez. Now I'm not a massive fan of Ruiz. I think he's limited. I don't think he's the most technical player. I don't think he's, particularly talented, but I think he's important. And in the system where Junior were using the width, they were breaking forward quickly. They needed a physical target man. They needed a point of reference for the attack, either to hold the ball up or to chase it behind or to put pressure. And Ruiz is good at that. If they were to make a change, bring on Alves, a similar player, but they brought on Hernandez, who's a a traditional number 10 playmaker. And I didn't understand that at all. Now, obviously what they did is then push Teofalo Gutierrez forward and and Teofalo is a player who's had a lot of success, scored lots of goals throughout his career, but he's not quick, he's not strong, he's not positionally suited to be a target man. And that cost Junior. They, they worked the ball into good positions, but then they had nothing. They had no point of reference in attack. And Hernandez and Tiofalo Gutierrez just stood in each other's toes all game. So I really think that 68th minute, you know, the the goal was unfortunate. You know, it was a really good delivery by Pavon and uh, difficult to defend just after halftime. But then that change in the 68th minute just killed killed Junior completely. You know, they brought on Diaz as well for Johnny Gonzalez. So it makes sense. He's a pacey winger. But you can have all the width and all of the possession you want. But if there's no one in the middle, then what are you playing towards? Tiofalo Gutierrez at one point was through one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And he was beaten for pace and strength by the defender. Ruiz, again, may have had a dodgy touch. But he would have bustled and would have made something happen in that situation so I think it's really disappointing because a packed stadium really good atmosphere we were we were wondering if it would be in it and it definitely was an early kickoff tricky to get to the game but the stadium was was full really good uh, atmosphere as the players came out everything was looking good they were playing with intensity they were playing with width and pace and then they took off the target man and brought on a second number 10 and, and that all went out the windows so I think junior again, looked really good. The formation was really good to start with, but I think it's maybe the, the influence and importance that Teofilo has that he was the change that. If you're going to bring Hernandez on, you take off Teofilo Gutierrez, but Junior never do that. And I think that may be one reason that's cost them in this game because they were in a position to win this and they ended up being... Put peg back and it being end to end and them losing their bite and attack. So disappointing.
0: Um, so, yeah, Boca survived for now at least, but their destiny isn't really in their hands. It's in the hands of Palmeiras, who play junior at home on the last match day. Now, if junior win in Brazil, then then junior go through, no matter what uh, Boca do in their, in their last match against Alianza Lima. Uh, Palmeiras registered a 3 1 win um, this week over over the Peruvians to seal the group with a match to spare. Um, I have to say, Austin, I'm much more impressed with Palmeiras this year than I was at any point last year in the competition. And and I think you've got to make them one of the big favourites to to lift the competition this year.
1: Yeah, the football under new manager, Jose Machado, has been good for Palmeiras. And this was a very comfortable result for down, made more comfortable by the fact that Alianza Lima are... For my money, the worst team in the group stage. I still am baffled by the fact that they were able to hold Boca for a point in the first match. Uh, That could be the difference in this group. We kind of said it at the time, and and that's coming to fruition. Uh, But this was a heavily rotated Palmetto side. They'd already sealed advancement to the round of 16 with that win at La Bolmanana. All they had to do was get a single point from their final two matches to seal first place in the group. Uh, they did that with relative ease in Lima, so they've got first place in the bag. The only thing up for grabs now for Palmatus is the best overall campaign in the group stage. Uh, to do that, if they beat Junior in that final match, they guarantee themselves uh, second leg at home for the entirety of the knockouts. Um, I don't know how important that will be for Palmatus. I don't believe that they'll go out with the intention of of losing Just to spite Boca, Palmetas aren't really in that position right now. Uh, I think that most of the team who played against Alianza Lima, certainly capable players, but by no means the first choice 11 will play in that match against Junior. It comes right in the middle of a couple of important matches in the league, as well as in the Brazilian Cup, which Palmetas certainly would like to win because of the, the higher prize money this year. So I think they'll rotate for that match against Junior. Uh, but we'll play with the intent of winning because they would like to have the best group stage result. Uh, as for this match in particular, I thought Moises was the best player on the pitch by far. Um, playing as the number 10, he's kind of been searching for game time with Lucas Lima, obviously now with the club. Uh, he's He sat back a little bit more as more of a defensive midfielder, an attacking-minded defensive midfielder, if you will, uh, when he has started. But in this match, he was back to his regular role as, as a number 10, and he was really good. Uh, played a big role in the first goal for William after Borja kind of knocked the ball down. Moises had a great little pass to the side for William to finish and then had a beautiful back heel assist for Johan on the second goal. Johan, a player who hasn't seen a lot of time for Paul Matis, but has done well when, when he's been given opportunity uh, credit to him for sticking around the club. But yeah, this was, it was comfortable for Paul Matis. They gave away a penalty in the second half. That's, probably a bit harsh uh, a penalty was called on Palmeiras in the second half which gifted alianza lima their first goal in the copa libertadores this year just to kind of hammer home how poor they've been but this was comfortable for Palmeiras, and it sets up a very intriguing final day in this group because as you said adam a win for junior and it doesn't matter how many goals boca beat lima by they'll finish a point short of junior obviously going to sao paulo to play Palmeiras is no easy task but with Palmatus having already wrapped up the group, uh, focusing on other competitions at this point, I think Junior are, are in this with a shout, and, and it should be very interesting on the final day. I think bulk are going to hammer Alianza Lima at La Bombonera, you know, four or five goals, that type of result. Uh, but it's not going to be in their hands, which I think is going to make this very intriguing.
0: Okay, I'll come straight back to you, Austin, to talk about Group 7, which saw one of the games of the week as Independiente went to Sao Paulo to try and get revenge over Brazilian champions, Corinthians, and tighten this group right up. And they managed it. Austin, you enjoyed this one, so tell us more.
1: Yeah, I did. I think this was the best match overall that I've watched in the group stage. And maybe outside of the drama in in the playoff rounds has been... This was certainly the most high-quality match we've seen in the Libertadores this year. Independiente went to Corinthians, and something that has not happened to Corinthians very often under Fabio Carilli is they had the match taken to them, and then were forced to play from behind. So, so often, Corinthians hang around in these nil-nil matches, and they sit back and defend, and they hit you out on the counter. They find a goal at a time in which it doesn't feel like it was a deserved goal, and boom, they have the win. That's how they beat Independiente. When these two teams met in Argentina, but they weren't afforded that luxury in this match because two minutes in, Benitez had scored for Independiente. They just bombed forward. Casio made an initial save, Benitez slammed the rebound in home, and are just like that. You know, ninety seconds played, it's one nil to Independiente, and this was a result that, as you said, Adam, they they needed to tighten up this group. A point would have kept them in the running, but they would have had a lot more work to do in the final two matches. Uh, But this win for Independiente was absolutely massive. And I really appreciated the way Holan set up his side. He wasn't scared going to the Brazilian champions. He wasn't scared going up against a team that has shown themselves to be incredible defensively. He attacked him and and it worked for uh, Independiente. Uh, Mesa, the winger for Independiente, was somebody that really impressed for me. I think he's an interesting one to watch as far as getting into the Argentina squad for the World Cup. He set up the second goal with a, a, a corner that was whipped in close to the near post. Angel Homero for Quedinchins tried to clear it with his head and ended up putting it in the back of the net for the goal, which was not ideal for him. And then it was 2-0 to Independiente, and it, and it looked like, OK, they, you know, they may come and just run Corinthians out on their own pitch. That wasn't the case. Corinthians uh, hit back pretty quickly after that. Homero certainly atoned for his mistake by a nice little turn in the midfield to set up Jadson to make this 2-1. Um, and then the second half certainly didn't match the pace of the excitement of the first half. It was Corinthians trying to break down Independiente. It was Independiente doing everything they could to slow this match down. Every single substitute, I'm pretty sure, was taken off by Stretcher, which is so often the case. You know, throw-ins were delayed. It was the typical time-wasting tactics that you see when you need a big result away from home. Um, and then this match, as it so often does in the Libertadores, kind of boiled over. Emerson Shaky came on in the 78th minute for Corinthians, and in the 80th minute, he got his marching orders with a red card after there was a pullback in the midfield. I believe it was Romero for Independiente, pulled back a Corinthians counterattack. Very clear yellow card, you know, a tactical foul. You see it all the time. And then after that, uh, Sanchez Mino for Independiente went and grabbed the ball to try to prevent Corinthians from taking the free kick quickly. And Emerson Shaky decided that he was going to be an American football linebacker and just absolutely rammed into Sanchez Mino, knocked him over. Sanchez Mino, of course, made the most of it, but it was a very clear red card. Shaky gets his marching orders, and 10 man Corinthians couldn't get back in this. Uh, This, as you said, Adam, once we get on, um, tightens up this group. You know, Corinthians on seven, Independiente and Lada on six, Millonarios on four. I think all four of those teams will feel like they can get out of this group. Nobody is certainly assured of getting out of this group. We've seen trips to Deportivo Lada have been difficult. That's what Corinthians still have in front of them. And this is a Corinthians side that I think are starting to kind of run out of the option of playing without a true number nine. It, it hasn't, it worked for a little bit, but there's nobody in the box because they're playing this 4 2 4 where all four on front are midfielders. Uh, they've signed Holger from international now after he had gone there for both the Fogo he's more of a stereotypical number nine I don't think he has the talent that Joe does but once he's registered for this Libertadores which would only be if Corinthians make the knockout stages I still think they will I think it's time to probably start trying to play him because this tactic hasn't worked it works you know when you can get in front in a match or when you can hold the match at nil nil and then hit out but Quinincians were just kind of incapable of playing from behind because they didn't have any options to go to. They kept trying to string together passes in the midfield. And in Independiente were playing what was kind of like this 3-4-3 formation, but in essence had, you know, kind of five at the back. There was just no room for Quinincians to operate. So I, I'm interested to see how Coelho's tactics evolve. This was a huge, huge result for Independiente. And I think it sets up Group 7 as maybe the most exciting group heading into the final two matches.
0: And Simon, what the, what does this mean for Millonarios in this in this group? Then,
2: well, their next game is at home against Independiente in a couple of weeks' time. Um, that's going to be massive. Now, um, I think Lada have massively exceeded our expectations and are bang in the mix. But you would think, as these games become increasingly important, we would expect the the bigger teams uh, to maybe see out the games against Lara. Obviously, going away has been tricky. But I think Migenarios' next game at home against Independiente is going to be key. At the moment, Corinthians on seven, Independiente and Lara on six, and then Migenarios on four. If they can win against Independiente and and Lara, Lara will probably, you would expect, lose against Corinthians. We'll have to see. Away in Venezuela, they might put an upset. That will put Migenarios back into second place for the final game, which I think will be a big boost in terms of their chances, in terms of the momentum. Their goal difference as well is is better than the other two teams above them. So that's going to be a massive game. Um, they just need to make sure they get that home win. I'm not sure they will. We'll see. We've seen some different faces of Migenarios. They're a bit... They're consistent. They're solid. They can see out a game if they get a lead, but they need to get that goal. And, and a lot will depend on Iron Del Valle, the, the striker, to... To pull one out, and if he does, then I think maybe they can see a see the result out. But next round of games is huge for the They need to get that win against Independiente, and then hope that Corinthians uh, run away with it at the top, and they can then move up into second. And all comes down to the final game uh, in that group.
1: I've been really impressed with Independiente. I know the the results maybe haven't looked that great two wins, two losses. They lost at home to Corinthians. They lost away to Lada. But even dating back to last year's Sulamérica, I really like this Independiente team. I think Holan is a very good manager, uh, and they're a team that I, I'd certainly like to see advance in this competition. Great home atmosphere, um, It's just a really good group of players that are that are fun to watch. I like the style of football that they play.
2: Yeah, I mean i is going to provide my, many many surprises. Salazar, the young winger, looks quite interesting. But him aside, they're very plodding, very consistent, very solid. Um, yeah, so perhaps for the neutral, maybe maybe the end of midianarius might be might be welcome. They're a decent team. There's some good quality throughout, but nothing particularly exciting. You know, it's going to be one nils, two ones, close games throughout. And uh, so far, they're falling a little bit short. And again, final game away to Corinthians. Even if they get the result in Independiente, it's going to be very difficult to get that result away in Brazil for the for the final round.
0: moving on to group six a nil-nil draw between Real Gassiato and Estudiantes nearly sent us to sleep no Simon
2: (laughs) yeah
0: it was awful (laughs) in terms of the game
2: both sides were pretty poor the stadium was pretty empty um, I, th- I would say the Peruvians deserve some credit simply because... Stop, stop. Pay- You're just trying to talk the- yourself
1: into this. You're just trying to talk yourself no, into no, this. No, no, listen. I mean, this was bad. Two of you guys watched this match and in pre- prepping for the pod, <laughs> you both said, Wait, we watched that match. That's
2: how bad this one was. This isn't a proper compliment. I said they deserve credit because they're so terrible, and they still got a zero-zero draw. So you know th- that's the positive. And they had a few chances, um, but yeah, overall this was this was awful. The stadium was empty. The atmosphere was pretty dead. Um, I would say Juan Otero, the Colombian, uh, the forward, was was the one bright spark for estudiantes. Very pacey, very direct. At times, ran 30, 40 yards with the ball and made some stuff happen. But that aside, you know, Real Gasol had a few chances at the start of the second half. But uh, yeah, these are two sides which the competition aren't going to miss a lot if they both go out. And at the moment, it looks like they might be. Um, Both on five points, Nacional on eight, Santos on nine. Still things to play for in the final game, of course. Nacional are going to have to get a result. uh, Yeah, based upon this result, I don't think the competition will be any poorer if both of these teams are eliminated. It was pretty poor overall.
0: Yeah, for me, estudiantes have been really disappointing. Yeah, you know, this is a group really they they, they should have been confident of, of getting out of, and and now it's left for them to well, they need to beat Nacional by two goals in their final game to, to progress. And and we and we were discussing um, earlier in the week. I think that is very doable. Mainly to be honest and i think that mainly because i feel that they've got to show up at some point in this competition because for me so far they've kind of plodded through the group without really doing much at all um, but yeah just a just a just a two uh, win by two goals we'll we'll see them through to the knockout stage um, obviously that won't be easy against um, national and national beat santos 1-0 and they head into the final Round of matches, knowing that, you know, if they avoid a defeat by two goals against the Estudiantes in Argentina, then they will go through to the knockout stages. No, Austin?
1: Yeah, and if there's one thing we know about Nacional, it's that avoiding defeat is something they're very, very good at. Uh, this was a pretty typical Nacional match, this one against Santos. Uh, Santos... They're going to get out of this group. They've already sealed their spot getting out of this group. They're probably going to win this group, given they've got a home match against a Real Garcilaso side that is certainly overachieved in getting five points. But they've yet to really impress you with any of their performances. Um, So I'm intrigued to see what they do in the knockout stage of this competition. Uh, Credit to them for getting out of this group. But as we've kind of alluded to, it's not like this group was, was full of heavy hitters. In this match, you know, Nacional kind of controlled the ball a lot. Um, Maybe not exactly what you would expect from them. Um, But it was good football for the goal. Uh, Barcia finishing it off after some good passing movement. Um, A good play on the left from, I believe it was Espino, who was pretty impressive for Nacional in this match. Um, So credit to them for getting this result at home. You know they'd have to win a game at some point in this competition, and, and now they've won two in a row and are looking pretty good to get out of this group. As you said, I think Estudiantes can beat Nacional by multiple goals, uh, but Nacional also don't seem. I don't know. I feel like Nacional can can get that result. Um, Santos left a lot to be asking for in this match. They they knew at the start of the match that they had already advanced. Um, I don't know. I always am left expecting more from Santos, to be honest. It's actually an interesting moment in this match when the official Wilmar Roldan of Colombia, who will be headed to the World Cup in Russia, actually, gave a second yellow card to Leo Sittagini, a Santos player in the midfield, but then didn't uh, send him off. He gave the yellow card like right towards the end of the match. So it didn't really have an effect on the match itself. But yeah, he gave a yellow card. Not realizing that it was the second for Leo Cucinini, and then had to go to the Santos dressing room after the match to confirm that yes, I gave a yellow card, yes, he should have been sent off, and yes, he's suspended for the next match. Um, I don't know what to make of that. Just I guess that it's the Copa Libertadores being the Copa Libertadores. So good result for Náscio. Now they're in good shape to get out of this group, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, not ideal from the Colombians, but in this game, in general, I think Santos tactically got it very wrong. Um, the the wingers Rodrigo and Copete were so high and so wide uh, that it was really... And they weren't contributing to the attack. It's not like they were backing up Gabriel Barbosa. They they were clinging to the touchline on the corner of the halfway line the whole game. And they touched it three or four times in the entire time he was on the pitch. So I think they really allowed Nacional to control the midfield, which I think was key. You mentioned Espino. Uh, not a player I'd known a lot about, but massively impressed by him this game. Uh, very good defensively, very explosively quick. And, you know, there were times where he... When Nacional were under pressure, he would pick the ball up in his own half and run to the opposition penalty area and then get taken out. Uh, There was a card at the end. and uh, Yeah, he was very, very impressive, Espino. Um, But I think Santos really need to be a bit more careful in terms of how they set out because I think the Nacional really dominated the midfield and I think that was key. And a great part of that was that uh, Santos basically had the two wingers completely out of the game. At no point did they become a factor in, in attack and they were... Never in support in defense, so I think that was really key for for
1: Nacional winning this game. And Simon, you, you talked a little bit about Santos. I I don't know if it's maybe just Santos fatigue for me, but is it hard for you to kind of see this team going far in the competition? They feel very limited. Like they've done enough to get out of this group, but they have not inspired me that this is a side that could go far.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, as I say, with the, with the setup, when you're when you're countering, when you're Connecting, it can work, but I think they were really, really short. I think they were thoroughly beaten in this game um and really, really lacking in the midfield. um it was it was down to one or two players to do the job of three or four players, I think at times. Um, this game could have been more more of an emphatic win for the home side. But, yeah, I think that's that's an issue. I mean, obviously, we've seen Rodrigo do amazing things from the wing and and beat three or four players. But if they can't find him, then they can't really hurt the opposition. Barbosa was completely isolated and and, and really wasn't contributing anything. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done for Santos. Um, They really just didn't give themselves a chance in this game, despite having good quality players uh, on the field.
0: OK, moving on to Group 5, and we'll start with Cruzeiro's crushing 4-0 win away to Vasco. That's 11 in two matches for a, for the Brazilian side that had looked so disjointed in attack at home to Vasco and away to Lul not so long ago. But, you know, now they're all but through and have a decent shot at winning the group as well with this big positive goal difference in their favour.
1: Yeah, this is a Cruzeiro that I picked to win the Copa Libertadores. I was not feeling very good about that after watching them play a pair of drab, goalless draws against Vasco and Lau and, and look good away to Racing, but not come away with anything. And then, man, they exploded for, as you said, Adam, 11 in the last two matches, seven against Lau and now four against the Vasco side that needed a win to stay in the competition. Cruzeiro just hammered them from the start. Leo stabbing home a set piece. Thiago Neves, who has been brilliant over the last two, again scoring. I think Sasa saw our team of the week last week uh, when he had a brace against Laou and didn't make the team of the week. Said, "All right, chaps, I need to just go do it again." And so he did it again, scoring another brace in this one uh, to finish off that result. Just a really impressive performance from Cruzeiro. Never really in doubt. Vasco never found a foothold in this match. They were 3-0 down at halftime. Um, They brought on Duvido Hiasco's 28 minutes in to try to give them some fight in the attack. That didn't happen. Uh, Just not what Vasco would have hoped for, for sure. And they were always probably going to be out of their depths in this group. And and now they've been officially eliminated. And as we'll get on to in a second, Crusader are all but mathematically through. And yeah, a win at home against Racing, and they'll win this group because of that goal differential that they've racked up in these, in these two hammerings. So that match should have a lot of intrigue on it. Um, Cruzado would love to win the group, and that could put Racing as group runners up that none of the group winners want to see in the round of 16. So a lot still to come in this group, but this was a per- impressive performance from Cruzado, and the type of performance that I certainly thought they were capable of when I picked them to win this competition. And I'm feeling a lot better about that after these last two matches. I'll tell you that much. And Adam, the reason that Cruzado find themselves all but mathematically through in this group was a tightly contested match between Rasing and Lao. Lao needing a draw to stay alive, probably a win to end up getting out of this group. We're just unable to find that despite a pretty good performance, falling 1-0 thanks to a late goal from Alejandro Donate. Uh, It featured things kicking off at the end. Tough result for Lao. But I didn't think they were all that bad in this match, did you?
0: No, no, I was, I was actually quite impressed with them. Um, you know, and I, it's kind of frustrating really, because I said on the pod last month when when Lou didn't push enough for a winner at home against ten men, Rassing, um in, in that in that home match here in Santiago, that I could well live to regret it and, and so it has proved. Um I thought Lou actually played pretty well last night, like you say, um, especially in the first half where they looked to be winning the tactical battle and also out-battling their opponents. Um, it's also worth noting here that Lou only had a caretaker in charge for this game uh, and he didn't even have the right coaching certificate to manage in the Chilean league at the weekend. It, it, it was it was, a, it was certainly a good performance under those circumstances. Um, and before the before the game, the big news really was the absence of a number of experienced players. You had um, Chilean internationals Gonzalo Haya and Johnny Herrera dropped. Um, her, Pereira is the goalkeeper and captain, and kind of a, an idol of the Lu supporters. So it's especially a bit of a surprise, um, even though his form has been dreadful. Uh, Mauricio Pena, he he was uh, he he was sick. Um, so Jefferson Soltero, one of the most talented players in Chile at the moment. There. Uh, little Venezuelan. He was he was injured, so it's a far from ideal situation for, for the Chileans. Uh, they kept faith with the old man, David Pizarro, in midfield, which was a surprise given how much he was run out of it in that 7-0 defeat to Cruzeiro last week. Um, what all this meant was, you know, it did give a chance to youngsters Isaac Diaz and, and, uh, and Nico Guerra, um, and... Uh, well they didn't really take their opportunity unfortunately Um, Diaz is a trier but doesn't really have the talent for this level while Guerra I do believe has the talent and is really promising uh, but with just a handful of first team starts under his belt it was always going to be a big test especially in, in that kind of atmosphere we saw last night the key moment came probably you have to say a few minutes before half time from the Chilean perspective and that was when Angelo Araos who again was for me the best player on the pitch last night he 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 played a lovely long pass um, to Nico Guerra who, who went one on one with the goalkeeper but the ball never seemed to drop for him correctly or you could see it Guerra never really got it under control and the harassing defenders managed to close him down and clear the danger uh, Diaz had actually tested the keeper earlier in the half as well so and at that point, Racing, you know, really weren't showing much at all. And you could argue that Lou were slightly the better side in that first half. But yeah, my my fear was that Racing would improve in the second half, and and so it proved. You know, um, a couple of changes made at half time certainly um, gave them a, gave them the platform to dominate the second half. Um, they seemed to control the midfield a lot better than they did than they had done in the first, um, and and yeah, and it kind of felt as the half went on. Although Lou looked dangerous on the counter attack, and and Guerra got actually behind that Rassing defence a couple of times again, but again his decision making and um, and perhaps the pressure got to him, um, and and that let him and and Lou down. But as as the half went on, Lou was pushed further and further back. I felt and and the goal wasn't a huge surprise when it came um, it was a, it was a fine strike from from Donati and um, and it, it's one of those games you know if, if Lou win it one nil, then you know a lot of people would say ah oh, they deserve it because it was a it was a good sort of tactical um, performance and, uh, and, and and especially in that atmosphere where if it's a draw you would say okay neither side had done enough to win it uh, and if and Racing winning it 1-0 you have to say oh, they probably deserve it because they went for it more in in, in that second um, so I, I have enjoyed immensely the two games between these two sides in the, in the group I thought they've been two of the better games I've watched um, in the Libertadores this year but it, it, it was just unfortunate that Lu didn't pick up a win against either Racing or Cruzeiro at home um, because they certainly had chances in those games to 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 win it, um, and that would have meant that they would have gone into that last game against Vasco at home, knowing that a win could well have taken them through to the knockout stage with Racing and Cruzera playing each other. So, yeah, I, I was saying to you, No, Austin, before the before we started the pod, that it's kind of frustrating that that for, well, from a Chilean perspective anyway, and certainly for for LaRue supporters, I'd imagine, but they've really only put in one, what you would say, bad performance, and that was obviously the horrendous performance um, away to Cruzeiro, where they lost 7-0. Um, but in all the other games, they've been very competitive and in in what is probably the most difficult group to get out of, uh, but that one bad performance has, has cost them.
1: Yeah, it has, and... Especially when you look at the other Chilean side in the Copa Libertadores, Colo Colo, Adam. Like you said, they've really only had one good performance in this competition. and That was the win that we'll get on to in a bit against Delphine. It just kind of speaks to the, the luck of the draw sometimes. You know, if you put Lau in that group two, I think they get out relatively easily. And if you put Colo Colo in group five, I don't think they stand a chance. And Lau were you know, for the most part able to hang around in this group until that seven nil. So yeah, it, it's tough because I I don't think that they've been that bad out outside obviously of that seven nil. Adam, you've neglected to mention yet yeah, your favorite person from this week's Culture oh, of I was, after, I was, was I was our friends, our, friend, our was, old friend Ricky Centurion.
0: <laughs> He's back. I was I was gonna I was gonna come on to it. uh yeah. I I felt that his behaviour was was particularly unpleasant. Um, but
1: also so expected. Like, come oh, on, yeah. of course Ricky Centurion was gonna do that.
0: Yeah, so so those who haven't seen it, when when Racing did finally make their breakthrough in the second half, um Centurion decided that the best way to celebrate this goal was to get in the face of uh, of of Lou's young midfielder Lorenzo Reyes and uh, and basically taunt and celebrate in his face um predictably. Reyes lost his call cool and slapped um slapped the argentine forward and uh and of course the argentine forward cried to the referee and and uh Reyes got sent off but it wasn't so much that incident which wound me up Austin. that's the thing um it it was a, it was a flashpoint a couple of minutes later, which really annoyed me was when um was when he tried to get another Louis player sent off, right under the nose of the referee and, and he went down like he had been punched in the face and the referee just told him to get up. But it annoyed me that the referee didn't didn't do anything about it. You know, yeah, that's blatant cheating. Right under the nose of the referee trying to get a fellow professional sent off and uh, and and he, and he and he got away with it. Um so yeah, I, I think he was lucky to stay on the pitch. I think a few seconds after that the um harassing manager Eduardo Cudet actually took him off <laughs> which uh before he before he got sent off even though it was at injury time by that point I think but yeah um it was actually it was actually one of the other interesting things uh, to point out was at the end of this game um you could see that the the youngster Nico Guerra the one who kind of blew a couple of Lou's best chances in this match um yeah, he's, he's only 18, and um, and you could see that he was absolutely gutted at the end, and uh, and he was consoled by uh, by not just um, his his own teammates, but by a couple of the players as well, including the goal scorer, the which um, which was nice to see, kind of in contrast to Centurion's behaviour, anyway.
1: I understand the frustration with Centurion, but, oh, man, I love it. He's so Libertadores. that as well. Just a fiery guy. We saw it with those Rosario Central team that he had in 2016. I think it's great for the competition to have two guys like that involved. Obviously, that happens until you come up against them and they're facing a team that you have have an interest in, and then it just gets really obnoxious. But and they're fun for the competition, and this rostering side is fun. So uh, good on them for... Uh, adding a little flavor. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: I, I agree with you there and it certainly gives us something else to talk about on the pod. So, so thanks for that. Ricardo. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to group four. Um, where a narrow yet huge win for the Argentines. Real qualified them for the last 16 with a match to spare. Um, It was a way to Santa Fe. Uh, Santa Fe, unfortunately, can't now get six draws in the group. Um, I think it's fair to say that, once again, they won't be missed, Simon.
2: Yeah, um, a disappointing game for Santa Fe uh, because they had so much of the ball for all of the second half, at least. Um, the you know early on they were it was kind of entering they were struggling a little bit to get into the game getting themselves set the goal again was made look to look very very easy a combination of uh, a driving run from Juan Quintero from midfield all the way up to the edge of the box some nice movement by Prato opening up his body a nice little slip pass by Quintero to the right wrong foot in the defenders and then and well dispatched by the striker again it it really shows why Quintero deserves to be starting. Um, not only the, the quality of the passing, which we always see, but the way that he drove from very deep, it really shows that he's really got his fitness in, in the right place. And, you know, he, he, he burst away from the midfield and, and then laid on the goal really, really nicely. And all of the composure and, and class and movement that River Plate showed in that moment was exactly what Santa Fe were lacking um, throughout the rest of the game when they were allowed to have the ball by River plate, but they never really looked like they were going to, you know, make that decisive pass or have that touch, which opened things up for them. They did. They did well. They they put themselves in a position to get something from this game. They had the foundation and they were solid. They were winning the ball very quickly in midfield in defense. They were looking solid for the second half. At least the first half, they were under more pressure. They were getting the ball into good positions, but that was, that was it really. That was the issue. They relied a lot on crosses. And again, it's all down to Wilson Morello in the box to put it away. Plato and Bagioli on the Wings were getting a lot of lot of the ball. But both of them can beat their man. Both of them can get into a crossing positions. But they're not that effective in terms of finding the options in the box. That said, on another day, they score a goal. Uh, Morello had one clear off the line. Um, there was a, a clear penalty the referee was about to blow the whistle for the penalty and then saw the flag was up and Morello was offside before the penalty uh, would have been awarded. So that was ruled out. So another day, Santa Fe sneak one. But this is the issue, that they rely on sneaking one. They rely on the ball breaking to Morello in the box or, or, or across from a from a corner to to give them the goals, whereas they can't really construct an opening uh, as they as they really should do. This is the issue. They haven't changed a great deal, but they're missing someone like omar perez who for so many years was the was the brain in the team they've taken out taken out the brain and they've got a lot of the brawn and a lot of the physicality and a lot of pace and, and Morello's a decent finisher but that guy to when everyone's going 100 miles an hour to stop and just slow things down and maybe drift into space or, or pick out a pass that's what this santa fe team is lacking um you know you have to give credit to river plate they managed the game well. They, they created chances early on. They got their goal, and then they saw it out really nicely away in Bogota, um, which has a bit of altitude. It's not massive, but it, it is something you feel uh, on a cool night in Bogota. And, and they had cool heads to see the game out, um, really well managed by the Argentines. But the frustration is that Santa Fe did everything they needed to do for 85% of the pitch to, to give them the result, and it's in that final 15% in attack with the players that they have where they couldn't they couldn't set up a clear clear chance despite having again 30 40 crosses into the box uh, you know plenty of chances they never really looked like they were gonna outsmart or outplay the the river plate defense and it was all down to getting a bit of luck and in this occasion they couldn't they couldn't find that luck
0: my, my intro there alluded to the fact that I think Santa Fe are probably out of the competition now, but it's it's actually not quite guaranteed yet. Flamengo would have to beat Emelec uh, for that to happen, but that is something I expect them to do. No, Austin?
1: Yes. I say that with a little bit of hesitation because Flamengo have certainly not done things to expectation so far in this competition, But yeah, a home win against an MLX side that have only picked up a single point feels pretty certain. And even if Flamengo failed to get that home win, they'd still have a chance to go to a Riverside who at that point would have already clinched first place in the group and, and get a result there to still advance. So I think I would feel pretty confident saying that Flamengo will get out of this group. But with them, you never do quite know. So Santa Fe aren't dead yet, but they're getting there.
0: Okay, let's move on to Group 3, where a 1 0 win for Atlético Tucuman at home to means a point away to already qualified Libertad will secure their passage to the last 16 and see the Uruguayan champion somewhat surprisingly knocked out early again in the Libertadores.
2: Yeah, no, it was a very, very physical encounter, um, as you may expect from some Uruguayan visitors and a tricky away tie. The Argentines definitely played their part as well. Um, goalkeeper went off injured quite early that was a bit unfortunate it was it was more of a slip than anything but yeah really a tough combative game which the the home side edged you know a lot of support from the crowd a good atmosphere in Tucumán as we've come to expect uh, and really it all came down to a moment from uh, Leonardo, Leandro Diaz he had a couple of them early Earlier in the game he picked the ball up skipped past a couple of defenders and and hit one at the keeper then the second Second opportunity, which fell to him, again, similar. Cut inside, left the defender, then fired one into the bottom corner. Um, really, it was his moment of quality that was, was the difference in a, you know, not the most attractive game, but definitely kind of an enthralling, combative affair, uh, which the Argentines just edged in the end. Um, a good a good physical game, both of these sides in competition, in competition for the final place in that group, with Libertad looking good at the top. Um, it was a real battle, and a, and a battle that Tucumán edged, thanks to yeah a nice bit of footwork, footwork from Diaz, a composed left foot finish, and that was that was enough for the home side.
1: And Simon, that result coupled with Libertad's three-one win away to the strongest in La Paz has sent, I think, somewhat surprisingly, the Paraguayans side through with a match to spare from this group. It was a three-one win, as I said. A very composed performance away at the altitude of La Paz. Certainly not what you see every day when teams go up to play at altitude. Uh, but a, a good result for them. A pair of goals from Cardozo, including, and I'll get onto to this in a second, what was unquestionably the most humorous penalty given away in the Copa Libertadores. But the strongest just really disappointed in this Copa Libertadores. And maybe a lot of that is just the fact that Alejandro Chumacero, who was by far their best player last year, is no longer with them. They just haven't hit stride like they have in years past. Uh, The fortress that they built at La Paz just hasn't been there this year either. The 2-1 loss to Tucumán really changed this group's uh, turnout. And then, again, this 3-1 loss to Libertad that leaves them with just three points and, and officially eliminated from the competition all they were able to get at home was the 1-0 win against Pena at all. I thought Libertad were, were good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they have in the knockout round. A very organized Paraguayan side. Not a ton of, of pure talent, but it can certainly play well on their day. Certainly beneficiaries uh, of what it has to be said is is probably the weakest group in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, but you can only play the teams that are put out in front of you. So credit to them for that. Getting on to the third goal now for Libertad after they had killed it off with a counterattack from Barreto. That ended up giving them the 2-1 lead. And then this was the one, the final nail in in the coffin for the strongest. Vaca, the goalkeeper for the strongest, picked up the ball, uh, was looking to to restart things quickly with his team down 2-1. In desperate need of, well, at that point, two goals really to get back into this group. Uh, And then trying to restart, he Swung his arm out with hey, – great. he has the ball in his left arm and swings out with his right arm to try to hit away was, a Liebertad player.
0: It was unbelievable. i was yeah. laughing about it now. It's yeah. Like one of those moments, whenever I think about it, I just start laughing.
1: Is literally holding the ball. So he has possession of the ball in his arms and swings out at a Liebertad player trying to swat him away to restart the attack and the Brazilian official gives a penalty on Vaca for contacting the Libertad player in the box. It was a foul, and it was in the box, so it has to be a penalty. Just an absurd, absurd penalty. I've never seen anything like it, and I doubt I ever will. Adam, you and I immediately just went into our our group chat and just said, what on earth was that? What happened there? Yeah,
0: it was one of the most incredible penalty decisions I think I've ever seen. Incredible. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um... Back To the strongest now, I think really the only thing left to say here is no chumacera or no party.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's but they've been disappointing to watch. Pablo Escobar just hasn't been able to do maybe what we we thought he'd be able to do, so that's uh, tough. Uh, the La Paz hasn't been the fortress that it has been, as, as I said previously. But credit to Libre for getting out of this group with a match to spare. It'll be interesting to see how they approach that final match with Tucuman, knowing that a point. Gives them first place in the group. A win could actually put them in the running for, for the best campaign during the group stage. So so that'll be interesting. And Tucumán, as we alluded to earlier, just needs a point from this last match. So I think you could see a situation where the final 15-20 minutes of this match between Tucumán and tied down the stretch... Uh, Features a lot of passing in the midfield and not a lot of attacking. If if the score is level, that would be a result that would probably benefit both sides. So Penetrol are left to to beat the strongest at home and and hope that Libertad gives them some help. But I think you could see a a pretty drab draw between Libertad and Tucuman to close out this group. And now we'll move on to Group 2, the penultimate group we have to break down on this week's show. And it was a positive result for a Chilean side. After their embarrassing defeat at home to Delphine, Colo Colo returned the favor with a 2-1 win against the Ecuadorians in Manta. Adam, it got a little sketchy at the end of this match. It appeared as though Delphine may get something out of it at the end, but a positive result for Colo Colo. And you have to feel pretty good about their chances to get out of Group 2
0: yeah I think I think they've left themselves in, in not too bad of a position now to get out the group um floodlight failures saw this game kick off around what one hour later than scheduled I think it was by the time it did finally get underway um Colo Colo actually filed an official complaint accusing the Ecuadorians of doing it on purpose basically um well whatever the truth it, it was the Chileans that benefited as as like you say they walked away with the 2-1 victory um but it should have been far more comfortable than it was. Um, but the main thing is, you know, it keeps them in the competition and tightens this group right up behind atletico Nacional, who looks set to win this group. Um, but what impressed me about Colo Colo in this game is the tempo they started the match at. Um, they started on the front foot, and their first-half performance was probably their best showing in the competition, um, certainly this year, and probably for a while, actually. Um, Jaime Valdez opened the scoring with a fine poke from just inside the box um, centrally um, even before that Colo Colo had a couple of chances they continued to create chances and, and they got a penalty um, to, I think it was moments before half time uh, that Esteban Paredes put away, he is now the top Chilean scorer in Libertadores ever, ever uh, with 20 goals um, no Chilean player has more uh, so that's an impressive record for him and that was his first goal of, of this year's competition and he's he's a key man for them who you know, like the rest of this Colo Colo team have been pretty disappointing up until this match in the protests for that Colo Colo penalty um, yeah, Giovanni Nazareno got sent off uh, for complaining what to me looked like a pretty obvious penalty shout Um so that was a bit careless from Ecuadorians as well and um, yeah so at half time you're thinking well this is really a case of you know how many goals can Colo win this by because they, they, were, they were so in control of it and goal difference wise as we've seen in other groups yeah it can prove so key so yeah that, that was the talk here can Colo go on to win this by three or four and and that will have them really well placed um, instead, uh, they they actually um, backed off a little bit in the second second half. Delphine came at them right after half time, and 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 the pressure finally told as with 11 minutes to go. Luis Chikaza, um managed to get one back for for Delphine, um, and uh, and at that point, it, it looked like that the Ecuadorians may well even snatch a all important point. <laughs> But, Colo Colo survived a couple of major scares in in that last 10-15 minutes or so. Um, and they held on for the all-important three points. So, yeah, it looks like to me that Colo Colo will probably need four points from their remaining two games. So, they're going to need to beat Bolivar at home. And then grab a, probably a point away to Atletico Nacional, who at that point probably already qualified. So, So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull it off after, you know, like we discussed earlier, they haven't performed well at all in this competition this year, but you know, that one win now gives them hope that they could they could well sneak out of this what has been a fairly poor quality group, I have to say.
1: Adam, I just want a quick mention for the final I think it was a free kick that Delphine took. Down two-one at home could sneak a point. You've been on top, and whoever it was that took it just whipped it right out of play. Not even anywhere close to anybody's head. Uh, you have to put that somewhere at least into the box to see if anything can happen at a scramble in there. Ah, so frustrating. Hey, the
0: way it's the Let's move on to group one, um, the final group we have to cover this week, as we finally saw the 2017 Copa Libertadores turn in what I would call a champion-worthy performance as they beat Cerro Porteño 5-0 in Porto Alegre. Austin, I imagine you watched this one, so tell me more about it.
1: Yeah, this was the gremio that we saw last year, and I think it's forgivable that they'd started this competition a little slow, Winning the Libertadores, especially in this new year-long format, just takes a lot out of a side. You know, it's a very emotional end of the year. And then before you know it, you're, you're starting right back up with barely any break in between. Uh, we made this point a few times, but they were certainly fortunate in the group that they, they were drawn into. This was really the first time that they, they kind of had to come up with a result to, to make their path in this group easy. And as you said, they did so. With, with ease. Uh, a 5-0 win against Cerro Porteño, who had done well in this group and, and with a point in this match would have been in pretty good shape to maybe even win this group. But it was early and it was often for Grêmio. Everton and Hamido both within three minutes of each other, uh, right around the half-hour mark to, to make it 2-0. And then they just added a couple more in the second half. Jael getting in on the Axis, Ciro, uh, Everton, and, and before you know it, it, it was 5-0 to the from Porto Alegre. They now... Are top group one with two matches to play. They will go to Monagas and they will host Defensor Sporting. That Seto Pretano Defensor Sporting match looks like it's probably going to be the one that will end up deciding who gets out of this group in second place. A win for Defensor Sporting and, and they'll head to the final match day, you know, with a chance maybe, but I still think Seto Pretano are in pretty good shape to get out of this group in in the second position. Defensor Sporting really let it slip when when they lost to Managas away. I think that was probably their chance to to feel good about getting out of the group. Artur for Grêmio, I think for the first time really this year, had a really standout performance for them. His pass accuracy in this match, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but was just absolutely absurd. Uh, Pinging passes all around the midfield, setting up goals, played really, really well. Probably somebody who you'll see in in this week's Copa de Team of the Week from the World Football Index so yeah, composed from Gramio, the type of performance that you probably expected to see from them in this match. Um, and credit to them, you know, they're now in a position where they can probably coast for two more matches and and not really play well and, and still get out of this group with relative ease. So they've taken advantage. Of of a beneficial draw, and and they'll be right in the running when this Copa Libertadores comes down to it, and as they try to defend their title.
0: Okay, so that closes out the show for this week. Next week, we we'll are finally be doing another question and answer session, um, taking advantage of the break in the Libertadores, which is coming up. Um, so, if you have any questions, especially about the five South American sides heading. To russia 2018 and then please send them our way we'll also hopefully be covering the Copa america feminina which recently happened here in chile um so if you have any questions about women's football in in south america that would also be appreciated um another thing to know is as as you heard last week and and also on this week's show we're also including some cr- crowd audio from various sets of fans across the continent if you have any s- sound files that you would like to hear as part of our podcast then please send them to me get in touch via Twitter at AdamBrandon84 give me a DM and I'll get back to you um, so that's everything from my side um, I'm also, also doing a countdown um, still to Russia 2018 with those with those 90 goals in 90 days corresponding to the minute they have scored in. Um, So, Austin, I've come to you to see if you have anything to plug from your end.
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James906. Plenty of action on there from the Brazilian League as well as upcoming Copa Libertadores fixtures. Um, Getting excited to get our World Cup coverage here at the World Football Index underway. Brazil are set to announce their squad on may 14th so that'll kind of be the first domino to fall as well there should be a couple of scouting spotlight pods that should come out soon Uh, a couple on a couple colombian players and then tom and i are set to record a few on a couple of players that you could expect to see at this world cup that could impress so yeah be sure to follow me on Twitter for all the latest. And be sure to follow us at the World Football Index on Twitter as well for all the latest from us too.
2: And Simon. Yeah, on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, I was involved in some of those uh, spotlights, so you can check those out. One of my favorite players is one of them. So maybe you can guess who it is once they go out. Uh, and yeah, just follow Colombian. The Colombian leagues coming to an end this weekend, so I've lost a lot of enthusiasm since Envigado managed to get eliminated by Medellin. Alios on Wednesday, but still, I'll do some coverage on that over the weekend, which is always very exciting because there's always four or five teams playing consecutively, all in competition for the final spot in the playoffs, and then we get down to to the business end of things with the knockout stage. So, some coverage on that coming up.
0: I can hear the disappointment in your voice. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, it's just left for me to say a big thank you to Simon and Austin for joining me once again to discuss all, all the exciting Libertadores action. And also huge thanks to our listeners and goodbye.